0: On February 1st, the Iowa caucuses will officially kick off the presidential nomination contest. On the Republican side, polls have Donald Trump with a small lead over Ted Cruz, with nobody else really even close. And for months, the GOP establishment has been hoping that Trump would somehow just go away, yet nobody's really made any effort to take him out. Nobody, that is, except for Senator Ted Cruz, who's emerged as perhaps the largest threat to Trump in the Republican field. This has created big problems for the Republican elite, because while they hate Trump, they hate Cruz, too. Now, Republican opinion makers, if, I don't know, such a thing even exists anymore, are starting to take sides and doing it publicly. Just this week, we saw the conservative flagship magazine National Review come out with an issue titled Against Trump. And on the other hand, there was the 1996 Republican presidential nominee, Bob Dole, who I actually voted for back when there were Republicans I could support, Saying that Cruz's nomination would lead to what he termed cataclysmic losses for the party, and that Trump would be far easier to work with. And then, of course, how can we not mention Alaska Governor Sarah Palin's um, exuberant endorsement of Trump this week? So, so what do you what do you make about all this, Jay? Uh, And who do you like? Uh, You know, well,
1: you know, I I think this is kind of fun because this is really political geeky stuff that I. I really enjoy and I don't know if other people do or not, but um, <clears throat> particularly with the the National Review um, uh, taken on Trump, uh, I, I think it's it's fun. And it's something that I think this is a good good place where we can point out this is something that's more peculiarly uh, Republican. Uh, you don't really see this uh, in Democrat circles, at least at least I don't see it. Maybe maybe you do. Um, How so? Well, you know, I think conservatism since the, you know, launching of, of National Review uh, in the, the mid-50s uh, is, is has been more of a – it's a movement. You know, it's it's an idea. It's a um, – uh, there's sort of a, a, a unified uh, ideology there where I think in a lot of cases the, the Democrat Party, liberalism, I mean, it's more just sort of a, an assortment of, of various – uh, causes, uh, various, help the poor and downtrodden,
0: that kind of thing, you know, yeah. we're into that. Uh, now no, they tend to have sort of a, a
1: affinity for one another. And, and there's a lot of crossover between that, but you don't, you don't get into these discussions of, well, what's the true liberal ideology and what ought to be our position on this and that and so forth. Um, as you do, uh, in, in conservative circles, um, now, again this is this is all like, very very geeky inside baseball uh, above the rim type stuff that you probably your average voter doesn't doesn 't know about or care about uh, because but, your average uh,
0: voter isn 't really ideological in that sense or at least consistently ideological which right. in part explains the success of someone like Trump who is by no stretch of the imagination, a doctrinaire conservative.
1: Right. And now, now there is, I think, a, a, a fair percentage of the ideological conservative uh, group that votes in Republican primaries. That's probably a, a big, a big chunk of your folks. So, um, but, right. but it's interesting. I mean, National Review uh, famously uh, has sort of defined the conservative movement uh, going back to um, uh, the fifties and sixties, uh, Buckley Sort of ran the uh, the John Birch Society uh, uh, folks and supporters sort of out of out of polite conservative circles, and and that's was very much a good thing, uh, and and did the same thing for the uh, the Randians, uh, I mean the, the Ayn Randians, uh, 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 libertarian uh, so forth. Um, again, just just sort of pointing out that uh, uh, this is this is not the type of American conservatism. Uh, that we want to foster, and I think probably the most recent uh, thinking back on this um, idea of, of someone who was sort of read out uh, of the conservative movement was probably Pat Buchanan in uh, ninety
0: two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made that run right for the presidency, right?
1: Yeah, and there was there was the there were um, the allegations of anti semitism against Buchanan, and uh, in that case, very similar to what national review did this time with the whole issue of against trump it was a a um uh sort of soul searching about anti-semitism uh and and uh, buckley uh, and the editors came to the conclusion that while you it's impossible to know what is in you know pat buchanan's heart and, and soul uh it had become impossible to defend him against charges of anti-semitism right uh and and sort of at that point uh pulled the rug out from, from under him. Uh, and again, what, well, I guess you'd what call what you call uh, polite conservative circles. Um, so I, 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 again, I find this, this fascinating. I, I love this sort of battle of, of ideas and, and the idea that again, Trump is, is not a conservative by any, uh, any stripe. Uh, and I think the folks at national review, uh, uh, set it out well. In fact, I, I posted something on my own Facebook page. It was, uh, uh from a Buck, Buckley essay in 2000, uh, uh taking on Trump, uh, not less, less so for, uh, any particular conservative positions, uh, or not, or lack thereof, but again, just the attitude, just the narcissism, just the, uh, it's all about me. And, uh, uh, you know, so and the beautiful thing underlying when when Buckley writes, it's it you just get the sense of uh, not only is he a bad candidate, he's he's sort of the guy you wouldn't really want at your golf club either.
0: Sure. Um,
1: you know, and, and there's something to that. Uh, we, again, when you and I talk sometimes about you know big R Republicanism and small R Republicanism, and uh, we also talk about Edmund Burke and and those kind of things. Uh, and this is, this is one of those that sometimes are these intangibles that look, this guy just, uh, uh, he's, he's not, he's not what we're looking for. He's, he's not one of us. He's, and I, again, that, that I'm not expressing myself particularly well here because that card can be played, uh, uh, in a very distasteful way. Uh, but it also can, can be played in a, a very tasteful way. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, Burke uh, was was a big believer in societal norms are, are really more important than uh, than government. Well, uh, they... and that's that's sort of the I think the message they're sending is, look, Trump, your, your behavior just it's just not OK.
0: Well, it seems to me that today there are essentially three main strains in, in modern republicanism. You've got the populists, and those are represented clearly by Donald Trump. You've got the ideologues, and Ted Cruz would be a great example of those. And then you have what used to be called the Chamber of Commerce Republicans, uh, the business Republicans, the type of people who were represented, I think, perhaps best by a guy like John Boehner. And mm-hmm. And that you can call them the Republican establishment. I call them the Republicans who are the most sane Republicans. Uh, and and it seems <laughs> and others,
1: to me – And others call them rhinos with the Republicans in name only. The good Republicans.
0: They're, yeah. they're the good Republicans and they're <laughs> the ones who hate both the ideologues and the populists because they understand that the ideologues and populists are to a certain uh, greater or lesser degree fanatics who are going to do awful things. And they don't want that to happen because they actually care about the country as opposed to being – hooked into some, some insane ideology that's going to drive the country off a cliff. And so rightly so, and I can understand why it's a dilemma for them. And I think it, I think it really stinks. I I wish there were a time where a, a, a non, where a chamber of commerce type Republican, well, like a John Kasich, uh, who has tried to sort of make himself over into a little bit more of a nut to get some primary voters, but where someone like that could be a legitimate contender. And so I don't know. It it seems to me that that it really is a dilemma, and obviously it's a dilemma that the Democrats really are enjoying seeing, not that they don't have their own problems, something we'll get to in a little bit here. But to me, it's interesting from a a tactical standpoint. Now, there's one argument that's going around that, well— we should support Trump over Cruz because not only would Trump be easier to work with in the sense that he doesn't really have any set principles except Donald Trump. And mm-hmm. so you can work with that, whereas Ted Cruz, <clears throat> very much not a compromise maker sort of guy. And more than that, the idea uh, in some circles is that if Trump's the nominee, because his negatives are so incredibly high, he's almost certainly going to lose a general election. And so – fine. You essentially rent the party to Trump for a few months and he loses it. And then you can kind of get back to sanity. Whereas Cruz is awful, but he's not so awful to the general public that he might actually win. In which case, then all of a sudden the party becomes Cruz's for four years and that could just do horrific damage. And I think that's, I think that's Bob Dole's point when he said that there might be cataclysmic losses. And, and Bob Dole, who I think is a great representative of the kind of you know, Main Street Chamber of Commerce Republicans doesn't want to see that happen to his party. And I don't want to see it happen either.
1: Well, I, you know, with with Bob Dole, uh, I guess he has the big advantage of not having to run with uh, Trump. Sure. Uh, I think that's the, the biggest concern I've heard is is if uh, Republican candidates have to run with Trump, they're going to get slaughtered. And I don't think that would be the case with Cruz. Now, uh, you know, I guess the, the biggest distinction uh, there, there are similarities and there are differences between Trump and Cruz. Um, the uh, the differences are that uh, Cruz is more a, a doctrinaire conservative. He's got a set of beliefs and he he sticks to them uh, uh, pretty rigidly. Um, yeah. uh, Trump does does not. the uh, uh, The commonality between the two is they're they're both horribly unlikable. Definitely. Uh, and I I think to some extent, Dole is right in that. In certain ways, Cruz is even is more sort of personally off putting um, uh, again, almost by, we've talked about this before that, that Trump for all his, the goofiness and the bluster and so forth, you, it, it's still sort of a fun show. There's still sort of a magnetism there, uh, that, that draws you to him. Uh, Cruz is, is, does not have that. And, um, uh, again, just, it just comes off sort of as a, as a jerk. Uh, Trump maybe is a little bit more of a, I don't know, want to say lovable jerk. Uh, but, uh, um
0: yeah i wouldn't say lovable either no maybe um, I mean,
1: I mean, lovable is not the word i'm looking for charismatic charismatic yeah, yeah. There, there's still there's still something there uh and like in many ways i mean bill clinton as as time showed was was in many ways sort of a, a horrible person but damn it people still like them um and i think that's it i don't i just don't think cruz has the, the likability. well no um uh, and and i guess the the idea is that okay if trump is the nominee then what happens is you get slaughtered and you you sort of write that off as uh, you run the populists out of the pol- uh, the party and you say, see there you go. That's why we can't have uh, that's why we can't have nice things uh, because of, of people like <laughs> right. Donald Trump. Right. Um, I, I don't know that that actually is the case though. If he's the nominee, my my concern would be more that um, it might go the other way around. Uh, that, that you might have more populist flock into the party the next time. So
0: what, what do you, um, uh, so so push comes to shove. You have to choose between these two guys. This is your party after all. Uh, yeah. You have to choose between these these two guys. Who do you pick and why? I pick Ted
1: Cruz. Ted Cruz. Um, again, because look, the, the guy is, he's standing for, for conservative principles for, for what I believe in. Uh, I think Cruz is a very smart guy. And despite his unlikability – uh, I think he understands how government works. Uh, my sense is once he was at, would actually be in an executive position, uh, which is much different than being in, in the Senate, um, he, he would uh, understand what it takes to govern. Um, you know, Trump, I, I still think, just doesn't have that, that experience and doesn't have that, any, sort of, any sort of moorings one way or the other uh, as far as uh, uh, what direction uh, government ought to go in. So, no, if it, if, it, if it came down to me, if we're in the Ohio primary and the the, uh, the names are uh, Trump and Cruz, I think I, I pushed the ballot for Cruz. Now I think there will be more people around then. Uh, but if you're asking me to choose between those two, yeah.
0: Well, let's let's hope that it doesn't come to that. That's all I got to say on that. Okay. Okay. Um. Moving on, uh, last weekend, the United States and Iran came to terms on a prisoner exchange in which the U.S. freed seven Iranians in exchange for Iran releasing four Americans that they were holding. Now, the deal, which was the result of over a year of diplomatic efforts, came under fire from a number of Republicans. Ted Cruz, for instance, summed Mm -hmm. up, I think, what was the general view of a lot of Republicans in an interview with Fox News where he said that the president was negotiating with terrorists and that our enemies are laughing at us. But then again, on the other hand, you have well fairly well regarded, very conservative columnist Charles Krauthammer, who my mom loves nearly as much as she loves me, which is really saying a lot. Um anyway <laughs> Your mom's be- a good woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm
1: happy to I am happy to hear that your mom hasn't hasn't migrated to the left. No, uh, no, not, not had, a so, chance
0: no. of that. So, so shout but then, out to Mrs. Baranowski. So I've I'm sure, she appreciates that. Well, anyway, Charles yeah. Krauthammer thinks that it was all things considered a a good deal. He actually started off his column by saying, give President Obama credit. And I rubbed my eyes and, you know, refreshed my browser and thought this can't possibly be the case. But anyway, what do you think about this, Jay? Was the Obama administration negotiating with terrorists? And, and if they were, was it the right thing to do? Um,
1: yes, of course, they're negotiating with terrorists. I think anytime you're, you're talking to the Iranians, you're negotiating with terrorists just sort of by definition. Um, that said that we, was it a good deal? Uh, Krautheimer seems to think so. Uh, I don't know enough. And this again is one of these hazy things where I think the maybe the best thing to do is, is, is admit, you know, what, what we don't know, uh, the specifics of the prisoners who we exchanged for, for who we got back. Um, uh, you know, in, in prior prisoners ex- exchanges, there have been concerns about, we released some, some really pretty bad people, um, to get, uh, get some innocent folks who were just grabbed. Uh, I don't know enough about the Iranians, uh, who, who we were holding, um, to comment and, and see if it's a good deal. And it, it's also, I mean, again, I, I don't want to sort of, uh, diminish uh this but it, it's a little bit like uh the nfl draft or something you know i mean if we're if we if we trade uh a couple of these these guys and and maybe they're just uh uh more or less uh, harmless uh, loudmouth Iranians who who did something or other uh, wrong uh or maybe they're terrorist leaders who are going to be right back out on the battlefield well um well, we, bat- we don't know that yet so it's it's tough to judge i mean i we're i'm happy that uh iranian iran is is no longer holding at americans i think that's that's a big that's that's huge uh for me that that uh, i think it's important that we're no foreign country is holding american hostages um, well except for north korea of iran. course iran. they yeah iran. north yeah.
0: korea picked up uh, one of our one of our citizens in fact from from, from, from the cincinnati, cincinnati area, actually yeah. you know and this is this goes back to an argument that a number of people, especially on the right, make is that every time we negotiate for the release of someone, we essentially give an incentive for people to take more Americans and that the way to respond to to a terrorist state or to a terrorist group that takes American citizens is not to negotiate with them, but to go in there and to, as Ted Cruz might say, to carpet bomb them or make the sand glow or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we've always negotiated with terrorists, even Ronald Reagan, bless his sainted name, negotiated with terrorists, certainly occasionally gave them arms, in fact, to get rid of or to get, you know, get our our people back. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's one of these things that we say we don't do, but we've always done since the very beginning.
1: And I guess I, I would look at it in sort of. Um, two two ways to go, Uh one if you're going to say we don't negotiate with terrorists then you don't negotiate with terrorists period uh once you've taken that step and and we had with with iran over the nuclear deal uh and other things i mean once you are negotiating with terrorists uh and they have your people then i i think you you have a duty to get your folks back well, so could... yeah i mean I, I guess that's that's my thing if, if we're going to make a, a principled stand and say uh no we're not going to negotiate with terrorists and as as I think Henry Kissinger uh, position I mean it was very much the real politique of uh, look if somebody takes a hostage you you just assume they're dead at that point and write them off um, uh, well no I mean it's it's you know a very cold but that was that was sort of the Kissinger uh, world view um, if you're going to take that approach and, and maybe you save lives in the long term doing so, then you take that approach. See, I, I think you um, need to make But, a, but once you've engaged that, I think you need to engage to get your people back.
0: I, I think you need to make a distinction between negotiating with terrorists and negotiating with states that might, in fact, do support terrorism and negotiating with the state. How, how do you how do you, what, what exactly is the difference? Well, no, there's a, there's huge differences. States have legitimate, legitimate rights. They have legitimacy in, in the world. And when they take people. Just like when we take people, other states might argue that we're doing it for illegitimate for political reasons, and there are certainly reasonable people may disagree about that. But it's one thing for a state to take someone and say they were spying or doing something else. It's another thing entirely for a non-state group that has no right to do that under international law. And so you know, we, we negotiate with other, with other states that are legitimately recognized by the rest of the world all the time. That's a way different thing than negotiating with the terrorist group. And I think that's a very important I, I, distinction. You know, I, guess, to make. I
1: guess that's where we we fall into is is the Iranian regime a legitimate one? It absolutely uh, is. We don't
0: like well, it Iran just because we don't is, like it doesn't North, mean it's not is legitimate. The North Korean regime a legitimate one? Is it? It's a, is a legitimate regime in the sense of it's recognized as the you know as the ruling body. Yeah, I mean it's not a democratic regime, but if we're going to argue that you know. Non-democratic leg- regimes aren't legitimate. I guess we could do that in a sense, but it certainly is the, the well, governing body. Would you body say that North state? Korea and
1: Iran are, are uh, states that essentially play by the, the rules uh, of, of uh, what's, what's sort of established in uh, uh, international relations?
0: Iran, yes. North Korea, no. All right. And so, I mean, North Korea is a whole different ball of wax. That's just kind of a a wacko, crazy sort of state that's out there doing its own thing. But and and Iran, while I certainly definitely believe that they are they're a sponsor of terrorism and they do some awful stuff, they are, for the most part, within the bounds of the very wide bounds of what's considered acceptable international behavior in a lot of cases. Yeah.
1: All right. So they're they're, they're acceptable uh, sponsors of terror.
0: Well, no, uh, I don't think ever being a sponsor of terror is acceptable, certainly. And of course, other states have argued that the United States is a, is a sponsor of terror in a way. I don't I don't agree with that at all, certainly. And and I I know that we're the good guys, but uh, others don't see it the same way, for sure. All right. Well,
1: I, I would I, I guess I disagree there. I would lump the Iranians in with the sort of the lawless states that uh, uh, we're, we really can't do business with, but. Okay. Um, you know that that remains to be seen so absolutely
0: all right well then let's get back to domestic politics a little bit because we haven't really talked about the democrats and while things right. have been you know really interesting on the republican side for essentially the entire campaign it wasn't too long ago that the democratic contest looked really pretty boring with hillary clinton leading everyone by uh, a massive amount Now, in earlier Democratic debates, I thought, at least, it almost seemed like she was ignoring her supposed opponents and essentially debating the Republicans, which, you know, everyone thought she'd be facing them as her party's inevitable nominee – but lately, things have really changed. In fact, if you take a look at the latest Iowa polls, Sanders is running a little bit ahead of Clinton, or sorry, a few points behind Clinton. And in New Hampshire, they go to the polls a week after Iowa. Sanders has actually opened up a lead of over 10 points on Clinton. And as a result of all this, uh, Hillary Clinton and the media has really started to take Bernie Sanders much more seriously. They've been digging more deeply into his positions and even asking what sort of nominee or even what sort of a president Bernie Sanders might make. So what do you think's behind Bernie's rise in the polls, Jay?
1: Oh, I mean why are, are you asking me? It's it's, it's your you're uh, your people there. What? Um I think there's there's probably Hillary fatigue uh with the Democrats. Uh there is probably concern over the various scandals. Uh we we tend not to focus that much on this show about, you know, very scandals here and there just because I don't know. I think because they're, they're sort of root and over covered in, in, uh, in the regular media. But I, I, think the, the recent emails, uh, uh, indicate that, that she could have a, a fairly substantial problem here. Um, and, uh, I think Democrats are, are, maybe just do have some, some Clinton fatigue. Uh, there's also, uh, Sanders has that ability to sort of energize that, uh, the base, uh, with very much the, he can, he can out, uh, uh, Out populist uh, Hillary Clinton, and there is sort of a a populist wave in the country right now. Is is you know the, the Republican side with Trump and uh, Sanders kind of represents that on on the Democrat side. Um, it's more a, a, a socialist uh, sort of populist type uh, uh, impulse, but uh, uh, he comes he comes across as as I've a lot of people have described him as just more authentic. Um, which, which again, I think. You know, a, a plastic pink flamingo in in uh, in Cleveland uh, comes across as more authentic than Hillary Clinton, uh, but um, uh, I, I think that's that's part of it.
0: Yeah, I I certainly think the authenticity is big is a big part of it. And, but I I more generally I think that this is just the media trying to make a, a story where there's not as much of a story to make it a little more interesting to make or, it,
1: yeah, making it a horse
0: race story. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and they like
1: to see a horse race story, and that's. That's sort of the narrative that, that they've got to fit this into so and,
0: and that's just not that's just not going to happen I mean uh, Iowa and New Hampshire are not terrifically representative of the rest of the the Democratic Party the states that are going to vote and, and while Bernie Sanders might do just fine I think he's going to you know finish a, a reasonably close second in Iowa obviously and I uh, certainly think he's going to win new hampshire but after that hillary clinton is just going to roll right on and it's not going to be it's not going to be a story it's not going to be an issue and 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 you know that's that's just how it is and i don't think anyone really seriously doubts that but again the media wants yeah, to no, make I, that
1: and i've said that on the republican side I, I think you're exactly right uh the early primaries are are just sort of their own they're sort of sui sui generis you know and and uh their own sort of animals um and they don't necessarily represent what's going to happen. What, what they do represent is um, you know, who's gonna, who, who makes the cut to get more money. And uh, in that case, you know, maybe, maybe Sanders uh, stays alive a little yeah. bit longer than he would have otherwise. But, but, but I still don't think he doesn't have the long-term organization, long-term support and, uh, or, or experience to, and, to, to and do also, it in the long haul.
0: And also, as people start sort of digging into what he's really looking at, as opposed to just being this interesting, uh, charismatic, sort of you know cranky old liberal guy, all of a sudden you start looking at some of his programs as the mainstream media has, and some people take this as well. They're defending, they're defending Hillary, and yet I think there's part of that, but also I think it's just part that he's really calling for some pretty radical stuff, and some of these things don't. When you start really looking at them, they start to fall apart a little bit. But that being said, I think he points out some really important shortcomings of Hillary Clinton, or at least some ethical things that, you know, some folks, especially on the left, don't want to face up to. Like the fact that, for instance, you take a look at how Hillary Clinton's made her money. Uh, uh, Since since Bill left office, they've earned, just from speaking fees, they've earned over $125 million dollars. That's pretty good. I mean that's 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 astonishing. And you know, what do you get in end, to to
1: in in many cases lecture folks on uh the, the evils of inequality? Yeah,
0: yeah, well I mean oh and what do you you know, why is it that Goldman Sachs is paying Hillary Clinton over six hundred thousand dollars, you know, to speak? It's not because she's a, a gripping speaker she's not I mean she's not that that not that interesting certainly they're doing it I, because I they want that something.
1: to avoid hearing Hillary you know there the you speech, go so
0: I mean they want something from her and they expect to get something from her and certainly anyone who feels that the, the That the political system in this country is fundamentally corrupt and needs fundamental change. A vote for Hillary Clinton is absolutely not a vote for change. And I think Bernie Sanders is – I think he's got a lot of crazy ideas, but I think when it comes to campaign finance and I think when it comes to sort of fundamental issues with the American political system, I think he's dead on. And Hillary Clinton is just going to do more of the same. And, you know, when she says uh, she says Bernie Sanders has criticized uh, Barack Obama for being weak on a lot of these issues. Well, it's because Barack Obama has been weak. You look at you look at the financial issues, you look at campaign finance, you look at Wall Street and so forth, and essentially Bill Clinton to Barack Obama, pretty much six or one half dozen of the other the same people. Not much change really. And so, if you believe that those are the fundamental issues, then you're going to be horrifically disappointed with Hillary Clinton.
1: Yeah, well, I think. That's, well, here the other interesting piece, though, that that Bernie Sanders brings into play, and we can talk about this more next week. But maybe we'll know more about this next week. Is the the hints that uh, Michael Bloomberg has been dropping?
0: Yeah, uh, he may
1: become the... interested. Um, in in that case, uh, Sanders is is important uh, less for his ideology and more just as a, a stocking horse uh, in the how can how can Hillary Clinton do uh, again? Because because I think she suffers um, less so than than what say Cruz does, but she's just not very likable. Uh, yeah, and I, mean, I hope I'm not just importing my own. View uh, onto that, but I think that's that's sort of true uh, with with many Democrats. Oh, definitely, but there's she's the, not particularly the, likable. There's the the fundamental fakeness about active, her. Like yeah, I, like I would for Cruz. Sure, uh, but if you have someone who is more likable, and I think Bloomberg is more likable, uh, someone who would certainly have the the funding, the ability uh, uh, to do well. Now, I'm not saying again he could he could actually beat her, but uh, that that makes an intriguing possibility. And actually, Bloomberg, I, I should. Qualify was saying he was considering a third run or a a run as a a third party candidate.
0: And really, can Uh, you have can you have too many billionaires in a presidential race? Why not bring them on? Yep, yep. You know, so but yeah, I, I you know, and if you listen, there there are some rumblings on kind of the far right and certain you know groups and dark corners of the internet, I guess I'd say, that Hillary Clinton might actually not even be able to run her. If she's running, she might actually be indicted or something like that, all this stuff about the emails and so forth. I think it's a load of hooey, but there is some talk about that, you know, with the uh, issues about leaking top secret stuff and the whole email server thing. Again, I think it's much ado about nothing. It's not going to come to much, but uh, there is some talk about that. I just thought I'd throw that out there.
1: Yeah, so. I'd, I'd say I'd say there's i'd
0: say again indicted i doubt it um uh has
1: the story gone is the story going to go away and is there more to hear yes so yeah. there is
0: there's been talk about maybe a special prosecutor at some point and of course you know clinton's and special, special prosecutors that's sort of a natural combination i think right. at least for those of us who came up in the, in the 90s and so forth but i yeah, i don't think that's going to happen so all right um Moving on. Uh, earlier this week, I saw a, a meme on Facebook posted by uh, an auto worker friend of mine. It went something like this. Uh, remember when GM made cars in Flint and you couldn't drink the water in Mexico, which I thought that was pretty good. Um, now, of course, GM's, right. GM's still in Flint, but uh, the city's water supply, while it's probably not going to give you diarrhea, is certainly giving a lot of residents or has been giving residents too much lead. And these problems with Flint's water came to uh, started really in 2014 when the state-appointed emergency manager of the city uh, approved switching the city's water supply from Detroit, where they had been getting it, to the Flint River in a move that saved a, a fair amount of money. Mm-hmm. And then you had complaints about water quality, and they were more or less ignored until early this year when the evidence of tainted water became really too clear to ignore. And in his State of the States speech last week, Michigan's Republican governor, Rick Snyder, he apologized and vowed to fix the problems. He also voluntarily released all of his emails that had to do with the crisis. And those emails really suggest that officials knew about some serious problems with Flint's water, but, and they'd known about it for some time, but they chose to downplay these problems instead of acting. And there are some people, including Bernie Sanders, who've called for Snyder's resignation. And not only that, but yeah, well, yeah, it's, but it's been argued by some folks that this is what uh, an example of what they call environmental racism, where poor minority areas are forced to suffer in, you know, these kind of circumstances where if the same sort of thing would have happened in a rich white area. The state's response would have been markedly different. So would you say this is environmental racism, Jay? No, not at all. You don't buy that, huh? No, I don't. Not at all. Um, I think it's,
1: it's a, a, governments grew up on on various levels uh part of the the issue is and again i've I've read the emails and um one of the reasons the state downplayed it was that the official information that the state had been receiving from the federal epa was that there was not a problem uh it was third-party testing that showed there was lead uh the the state um uh when their their tests showed well, it didn't seem to be uh, an issue, and the federal EPA, uh, which had done testing, had not communicated that there was any problem. Uh, so that's that's I think why it was was downplayed. Um, and also just the 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 politics surrounding Flint uh, Flint is sort of you know if if Flint were a country, we would call it a failed state. Um, there are are other places like that ac- across the country. Uh, where the the local citizenry is is you know essentially proved incapable of of running a city without just running into the, into the ground um and and I think that's that's a big part of the problem is there's there was no leadership there in Flint to begin with um uh, but but do you and, but uh, do you
0: actually think that had these complaints come from people in a rich white suburb that the response would have been uh, just so cavalier?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, again, I, I'm not sure if you mean by cavalier if you if you Cav- check with the EPA and and they say, well, no, it's okay. Um, no,
0: I mean there were, there were complaints for over a year before the before the state actually really did anything and anything happened. And I, I I find it hard to believe that if rich white people complained about this, there wouldn't be action pretty quickly.
1: I that that could be.
0: That could be, uh, but, to,
1: but, but if you're, but if you, the sense is that it's, it's a racial thing. Um, no, I dis I disagree with that. Again, I, I would agree if you want to say it's a socioeconomic issue, uh, that, uh, I think in some of, um, the, the, uh, emails, uh, Snyder or, or an aide, uh, whoever was, was writing the emails referred to, it's sort of the, the anti everything crowd, um, of just there's this, you know, solid group of folks who are protesting about one thing or another at, at any any given time. And I think there's a sense of places like Flint of you get sort of more of a, a boy who cried wolf syndrome. Um, it's not it's not a matter of we are uh, in some intentional racist uh, conspiracy to, to poison the people of Flint. It's a matter of, uh, uh, you know, the Flint uh, has, has sort of, I, I guess, I mean, a lot of these, these folks who, who do, protest for a living have have sort of lost their credibility.
0: Well, I mean, it's one thing to protest about, you know, about certain things like some of these ridiculous campus protests and so forth we've talked about. But when you're talking about, Hey, there's something funny about the water and Oh, by the way, GM's not even using it because it's corroding their engines. Um, You know, I think that's that's a different level uh, of thing. And that's something that needs to be taken seriously. And, you know, and some folks on the left have said this is exactly the problem with the Republican, with the conservative focus on cutting costs by any means. And that when you start cutting regulatory agencies and you start cutting these basic safety things, everyone suffers. And the people who tend to suffer the most are the poorest and most vulnerable.
1: No, well, all right. I, I think you're you're conflating a lot of things there, and and if you can show that there is some sort of uh, mon- uh, uh, budget cut uh, that is somehow that's the reason the EPA didn't communicate the information that it actually had regarding the the, the Flint uh, water supply issue, um, that's one thing. Um, I, I think it's more just the case of, of, of government screw up.
0: Well, you're not uh, you're not arguing that Republicans are, are strong proponents of a of a healthily funded and growing EPA, regulatory apparatus, certainly.
1: Um I no, I wouldn't say that they're they're uh, certainly not uh fans of growing it. Um having it healthily fund, funded, yeah. I don't think you've had any Republican candidate uh, ever who said let's let's defund the epa not publicly um,
0: certainly yeah no, not at all <laughs> but i think if we take a look at what's actually happened uh well we, we would see a very different story uh you know oh,
1: I, I i well let, let's put this you will have to leave that to your imagination i guess because consider who your, your president has been for the last eight years and uh, i don't think there's been any significant uh, uh move or, you know retreat in the, the federal budget um in those eight years. But, but to me, this, this is besides the point The the bigger problem that why you have a Flint is because you have a, uh, essentially again, a, a failed state, um, that, that outspent itself, uh, that could not govern itself, um, had then had to rely on the state taking over. The state had to rely on the, the, the federal government and, and all levels of government just plain screwed up, um, so I mean I think that's that's what you've got, and I think it's it's a, a problem that will be fixed in the, in terms of uh, Flint water supply, uh, in terms of uh, government screw ups happening in the future. It's a problem that will never be fixed. Uh, so the, the better better result is better citizen oversight, uh, better government at all levels, and and I'd say potentially less government at all levels. Again, the, the the lead was was found uh, not through any government testing. Who, who apparently either missed it or failed to communicate it. It was third party testing.
0: Exactly, and that that's it, kind of my point. It, so. and, and my my point is, this is just an example of what happens when we have. Too little government in certain areas, and that uh, uh, people get hurt, and the people who get hurt the most are the are the poorest who tend to be minorities, and those are not coincidentally the people who have the least political voice who can give the fewest campaign donations, which comes right back to I think what Bernie Sanders has been saying is that our system oh, in a well, sense well, is fundamentally corrupt you 're
1: totally mis- misdiagnosing the problem okay it 's not yeah no the the, the Flint situation isn 't a case of of too little government, they've got more government than they can deal with.
0: Not the right kind. It, not the right kind. Well, it's,
1: it, it's exactly.
0: It's exactly, not about too much or too it's not little, the level I would
1: Because again, it, this is a matter of the state came in and took over because look, you can't govern yourself. So we're going to give you more state government. And then that was sort of subbed out to, to the federal government. Uh, and in each case at all levels uh, botched it. Uh, and, and the, the idea that somehow we need, more government, which and I'm not even sure what, what, what you would mean by more government, I more mean more government just, just pay I would the mean, bureaucrats
0: more? No, 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 I would mean have more people to do more testing of these kind of basic fundamental services, the quality of which is fundamentally important to people living uh, healthy lives and, and to their health and safety. that's the kind of thing I mean.
1: Well, my my point is, you you had that, and they screwed it up, and then they yeah, got in a pra- private sector apparently first and you they got it
0: right. Apparently, you didn't because the EPA missed this in their testing, and so either their testing right. needs to be changed, their testing needs to be well, ramped to up, they more need more, more resources. I, you know, yeah. no, they need better. Yeah. Anyway, so I think it's a I think it's a failure in, in terms of too little government. But one thing, I think that still amazes me uh, about this, and I imagine what amaze you is. The stuff that people still put in emails—it baffles me. The kind of comments that people put in official emails—and for a long time now, I've, you know, I felt that if you were if you were writing anything from an official email account, wouldn't you just at this point in time, 2016, wouldn't you just assume? Shouldn't you just assume that everything you write to anyone should be something that you would expect that? Everyone at some point will see. I mean, why don't people do that? How stupid <clears throat> is that? My God, a- wow. am I wrong here? I mean, what do you what do you think? I, if you're writing something on a government email account, some of the stuff I've seen in these emails, I just scratch my head and say, what's wrong with these people? I can see texting somebody or calling them, but jeez, or oh, maybe Pete.
1: setting up a private server.
0: You know. <laughs> Yeah, very good. I mean, yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me how people could be so moronic about that. So uh, uh, I'm glad they I'm glad they are because it points out some of the 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 callous indifference. I think, but my God, I sure don't. Well, right. you know, I'll tell you. I, I read the and again, I haven't
1: read all of the emails. I've, I've read what's been reported and, and reprinted. You know, in, in your well, yeah, you know, 274 pages the of them. Washington yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I didn't think it was that that overly callous. Now, again, there's, there's sort of a, you know, look, in, in practicing government, you get sort of a, a clinical, uh, 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 sort of uh, detachment, I guess, to these sort of things. Um, and, uh, yeah, things come across sort of cold sometimes. Uh, but in a lot of cases, I think acknowledged that there was, there was a problem. Uh, but it was also dealing with, look, here is, here's what's being made out of it politically and, is this is uh, this more just a political football uh, than it is an actual problem? And again, those emails were based on the information that they had at the time, which showed uh, you know that, that there was not a, a lead contamination problem. Right. So, look, you, you can say that uh, the government is is perhaps callous and perhaps uh, uh, not as, as loving as you'd
0: like, um,
1: uh, or as
0: competent, or as well funded. And, and maybe you know. maybe
1: they should they should. Uh, Um, oh, again, I think, I think the state of Michigan is, is plenty well-funded. Um, I, again, I'd always disagree with you on, on, you know, competency, I think is a question all the time, um. And, and the well, private sector has a better system, not yeah, a perfect and, system and, and to sort th- of competency. There's a, reason, uh,
0: there's a reason why you often get more competency in the private sector. And I'd argue that in the many cases, the people who are doing similar jobs in the private sector are paid far better. And so I would argue that in part, the problem is that people who are public sector employees are actually underpaid compared to their private sector counterparts. And so the answer is to pay people. Yeah. And you can laugh, but you know, that's when you have like, you take a look at the financial system, you have the regulators getting paid sometimes a a 10th of what the people are trying to regulate are paying and, and people wonder why there's a revolving door. Well, if you can make that much more going to work for the private sector, of course, you're going to do it. So I would argue you're
1: missing, you're missing the, the whole point of like the one generates better results. In mean, measurable measurable results than the other, that's sort of that's sort of like arguing. Our core, you know, here in Cleveland, our quarterback sucks. We should pay him more. I mean, no, 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 it, no, no, no. I no. It, it, say, it,
0: no it's, I'm am arguing that I'm I'm not arguing that. I'm saying that if you have a if you have a team that is only willing to pay a quarterback uh, five hundred thousand dollars a year, you're going to get bad quarterbacks when all the other teams are willing to pay two, five, ten million dollars a year. That's my argument.
1: All right. That's that's a better argument. That's a better argument. Okay. So.
0: Well, in any case, what we can agree on is people, people, when you're sending out emails, think before you send out emails. That stupid thing, you, that stupid, careless thing you're going to write, who knows, especially if you're working for a government agency, everyone might see it one day.
1: Unless you set up a private server. Unless you
0: set up a private server. All right. On that note, uh, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys podcast, which comes out every Wednesday, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week, and where you can comment too, is facebook.com slash politicsguyspage. Check it out and give us a like maybe, if you like us, actually, which we hope you do. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.